First chapter 11, we're going to look at the first six verses here, and um, we'll be looking at another passage here in Numbers here in a bit. And I'm going to preach a sermon this evening that I've been wanting to preach uh, for uh, quite some time, and a, a sermon I think uh, touches on a lot of the struggles that we all have individually, but I believe uh, individually, culturally, but I believe also affects our home. So even if you uh, don't have a Christian home set up right now, you're single, um, maybe your children are grown, uh, maybe you're a widow or widower, uh, I think the sermon will still help uh, and touch on a lot of uh, areas in all of our lives that will help make us better people. Numbers chapter 11, let's read the first six verses together. The Bible says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them, that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again, this is amazing, and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. We see a group of Israelites who complain God sent fire down to consume a bunch of them, they cried out to the Lord to get the fire to stop. The Lord stopped the fire. And in short order, they started complaining again. They started complaining again. Well, we know the Israelites had a complaining problem, but I, I, I believe the Israelites' problem wasn't uh, complaining. It was uh, the title of the message tonight. They had a problem with, and here's the title, entitlement. Entitlement. They had an entitlement problem. I think so many of the problems in my life and so many of the problems that, are with, that, that exist within my home and your home, many of the problems that exist within our church and our country come back to this idea of an improper attitude of entitlement. Entitlement. We're going to look at that this evening, specifically how it affects a Christian home, how it corrupts a Christian home. We'll continue on with our series the corruption of the Christian home, and look at this word, entitlement. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the message this evening. Lord, uh, as I have studied this and looked at it, you have put your finger in areas of my life where I have been acting entitled. And Lord, I have been convicted greatly. Lord, each one of us will need this sermon a little bit different, but Lord, we pray you would protect our homes from this awful cancer that can destroy in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a mother was uh, taking her children to school and had to drop some children off at the elementary school. And uh, her oldest uh, child was a boy. Uh, her son was 14 years old. And after she dropped the younger ones off at the elementary school, she drove across town to drop her 14-year-old son off at the middle school. And uh, on their way there... He looks out the window and he sees a Porsche and he says to his mother, he says, when I turn 16, my first car after I get my driver's license is going to be a Porsche. And he said this very matter of factly. And the mother says, oh yeah? And who is going to be purchasing you this Porsche? And he looked out the window as if to ignore her question. This was not a joke. This boy was, in all seriousness, expecting his parents to buy him a Porsche when he got his driver's license. This clearly irritated the mother because she realized at that moment that her son had an entitlement issue. He seemed entitled to his parents buying him the car that he wanted when he turned 16. And so she um, uh, dropped him off and drove away very frustrated and got on the phone with one of her friends and began to vent to her friend. And her friend's comment to her was, 
whose fault is it that your child wants a Porsche when he turns 16? And she started in on her son and how entitled he was and how the world was just given to him on a silver spoon. And then her friend said to her, she said, I love you, but I need to ask you a question. Who put the silver spoon in his mouth? The woman had to take a, a, a moment and realize that she, while not intending to do so, had raised a spoiled brat who had an entitled attitude. That entitled attitude had been put there in her child's heart because it had been modeled by her and her husband within their marriage, and it had been modeled in their parenting. Uh, she looked at the clothes that he wore. Every type of clothing that he wanted, they got him. She looked at the cell phone in his pocket, and he always had the latest and the greatest. Uh, anytime he wanted to go out with his friends, for the most part, he got his way. This young man had been raised and taught that if he wanted it, he could have it. He was entitled. Uh, here's how I have entitlement defined, and this is found uh, in just uh, out of a dictionary, I believe the Webster's Dictionary, entitlement is defined this way, belief that one is deserving of or entitled to certain privileges. Belief that one is deserving of or entitled to certain privileges. Now, uh, we have an entitlement problem in our country. In fact, much of the handouts given by the U.S. government to people, those handouts are called government entitlements. Government entitlements. And people believe that they have a right to put their handout at the federal government and just have a welfare check or food stamps or a, a, a cell phone dropped in their hand. Even health care now is deemed a right. I have a right to health care. I have a right to free college tuition. I have a right uh, to uh, some sort of, of income. I have a right uh, uh, to a cell phone. And uh, I have a right, I have a right, I have a right. And this is an entitlement problem. And I just want to go through a list here in my introduction of uh, the, 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 what the average person feels entitled to. And so the first one I have here for you, the average person feels entitled to happiness, to happiness. And I have to say that uh, this is even true in my life, uh, where I believe that I have a right to be happy. And this can be taken to some really uh, far extremes. And we believe our children have a right to be happy. Uh, in our marriage, we believe we have a right to be happy. And I don't like the way that my husband looked at me. I don't like the way my wife treated me. I don't like the attitude I'm getting from my spouse. I don't uh, like the way my dad came home from work and behaved uh, toward me or the amount of time that he spent with me or uh, the way my mother looked at me. And I have a right to be happy and you are infringing on my happiness. And how dare you Treat me that way. And what this is, is moms and dads, and even uh, we do this to ourselves a little bit, we hover over our own lives or the lives of our children, and we seek to protect self-esteem. We seek to protect the self-esteem of our children. We seek to protect our own self-esteem. And I don't want my child uh, to think that he's less than everybody else. And I don't want my child to walk around uh, looking like um, uh, he's a half-rate citizen. Or I don't want my child to be cheated uh, through life. And I don't like the way everybody else is treating me because it's making me feel Inferior, And I have to tell you that this concept of self-esteem, this doctrine of self-esteem, this ideology of self-esteem is just not in the Bible. It's not there. We are not taught to protect our own self-esteem. We are not taught to hover over and protect the self-esteem of our children. In fact, by guarding the self-esteem of our children and our own self-esteem, we are teaching ourselves, we're teaching our children to grow up and be selfish individuals. Esteem is in the Bible. But it's never esteem about self. In fact, we find that we are to esteem others. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let me pause there. If what you're doing is causing strife, then you shouldn't do it. If what you're doing is causing pride and selfishness, then you should stop. You say, but I'm not wrong in what I'm doing. And I would look at you and say, is it causing strife uh, uh, with, with someone that you care for? Is it causing strife with a sibling in Christ? Whether or not you think you're in the right, if it's causing strife, you should stop. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mine, look here, let each esteem other better than themselves. Uh, instead of us bickering and fighting uh, over who has the right to do what, we ought to be bickering and fighting over def- uh, over a, a spirit of deferentialness, a spirit of of, 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 pr- of preferring the other, of saying, no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first. Well, I'm not going to go until you go. And I, I think the other day I was at the big white uh, grocery store and I um, uh, I came to the, the stop sign there in, in the parking lot and there was an older lady at the other stop sign and we both arrived at the same time and I motioned for her to go and she motioned for me to go. And then I motioned for her to go and she motioned for me to go. And we sat there and I thought, I'm not moving till she moves. And she thought, I'm not moving till he moves. And I'm going to let him go first. And, she, and, and, and I said, I'm going to let her go first. And it got to the place where the cars behind us started to honk because neither one of us would go. We were trying to be deferential uh, toward the other one. So I went ahead and went. Amen. Someone had to go. Um, and uh, I wasn't going to out-stubborn the old woman. So I went ahead and went. But that ought to be how the Christian life is, is that we are so deferential because we are seeking to protect the esteem of others and not our own esteem. Verse 4, Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is to build up the esteem of others and care nothing about our own esteem, uh, our own happiness. Many people feel they are entitled to happiness. I'll tell you this, if you'll learn to esteem others, your happiness will take care of itself. Not only are we commanded to esteem others, we're commanded to esteem Christ. John chapter 3, verse 14, uh, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As I lift up Christ in my heart, I think of John in John chapter 3, verse 30, who said, He must increase, but I must decrease. I must esteem Christ. I must esteem others. I am not entitled to be happy. I am not entitled to be pain-free. I am not entitled to care about how I feel. I am entitled rather to promote Christ and promote others. The average person feels entitled to happiness. The average person feels entitled to total acceptance from everyone. Total acceptance from everyone. And oh boy, do we see this prevalent in our society today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You know what that means? That means I'm to cut ties with those who are unfruitful uh, in their work. I'm not to have a relationship with them. I'm not to care what they think. Can I tell you this? If I don't have a relationship with someone and I go out of my way to avoid darkness and separate uh, from unbelievers as we preached this morning, again, I'm not talking about being rude and I'm not talking about not working toward leading them to Christ and I'm not talking about uh, avoiding people who are seeking the truth. I'm talking about people who are hateful toward Christians. I'm talking about people who want to pull you away uh, from Christianity. I'm talking about people who are looking to tear down your faith. If I'm going to separate from that crowd, can I tell you something? They're not going to accept me. And you know what? I need to be okay with that. Too many Christians are too concerned about fitting in. And not to go back and preach this morning's sermon, but can I tell you this? I should not expect the world to accept me. Hey, those in the world, you should not expect Christians to accept you. We live in a day and time where we, I, as a Christian man, am expected to accept anyone and everyone in their lifestyle. Um, I don't expect you to accept my Christian values if you're contrary to that. But please don't try and force me to accept you the way you are and say I have to buy into your lifestyle. Listen, I can love you, but that doesn't mean I have to love your lifestyle. We live in a world where people feel entitled to happiness. 
We live in a world where people just expect you to accept them for the way they are, uh, regardless of how they are. Here's another big one that uh, hurts a lot of young couples. Uh, um, The average person feels entitled to a certain standard of living. A certain standard of living. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Philippians was written from a prison cell by the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said while sitting in a prison cell. uh, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Uh, What's he saying here? He's saying that I don't need a whole lot. To be happy. In fact, I can be in a prison cell and I can have nothing to my name and I can know how to abound. I can know uh, how to be a base and I can still find contentment in Christ. First Timothy chapter six, verse eight, Paul said this. He said, in having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let us be there with content, rather. What's he saying here? He's saying you shouldn't need a whole lot in order to be happy. I look at uh, many folks, and they have to have the latest greatest. They have to have uh, everything. And uh, listen, I have to say, I've been guilty of this one. And uh, there have been times where Angel and I have run out, and we've bought all kinds of things on credit and put ourselves in consumer uh, debt. And uh, we uh, let MasterCard pay for it. Then we became uh, then, then the MasterCard became our master, and we became enslaved and enshackled. Uh, to them and we felt like we had to pay it off. Why? Because we wanted things that my parents had or her parents had, but we uh, failed to uh, realize they'd been married 30, 40 years uh, longer than us and they had earned the right uh, over time to buy those things that they had set money aside. And listen, if you're a newlywed and you're uh, uh, young and uh, uh, you're just getting started out in life, you don't have to drive the newest car and you don't have to live in the biggest house and you don't have to uh, have the nicest furniture. Listen, uh, 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 suffer for a little bit and earn up to that and pay for it. This is an entitlement mentality that sinks into our our, our being, and we expect uh, more than we ought uh, to expect. Entitlement begins at home. Entitlement begins at home and then grows into the culture at large. We look out today and we see the entitlement attitude that uh, is pervasive in our society, and we, we, we argue about it, or rather we're frustrated by it, and we want it to stop, but then we don't stop it within our own selves. I, um, I sat down to put this sermon together, and to be honest with you, uh, I had a little bit of a judgmental spirit toward people that have this attitude. And then as I began to study for it, God made it clear to me that I have an attitude of entitlement. I'm going to lay out for you where God has had to deal with me this week as I've put this together. But can I tell you this evening, I believe most everyone watching in, even you have an entitlement problem. It's time we put this to rest. If you are bickering with someone in your life right now, can I tell you that you have an entitlement problem? If you have children who are spoiled brats at home, can I tell you that there's an entitlement problem? If you're not getting along with your husband or wife, boy, there's an entitlement problem with one of you, if not both of you. Last week I preached on anger. And I talked about those who lose their temper. Can I tell you why people lose their temper? You guessed it. They, they have an entitlement problem. You see, because... If I act entitled and I don't get my way, that causes me to lose my temper. Fifty years ago, most children earned an allowance by having to behave a certain way and having to do chores around the house. And today, most children are just given money with little to no effort in earning it. And I'm talking about middle-class homes, but even in uh, some uh, some lower income type homes. Kids are kids are just given a new pair of shoes. Uh, they're they're taken out to eat and uh, they they eat fast food all the time, even though the family can't afford it. And middle class families will give their children twenty, forty, sixty dollars a week uh, to blow, and the children aren't having to do anything to earn that. What are we doing? We're setting them up to be entitled. We're teaching them that they don't have to earn the money. It's just handed to them, and we're setting them up for a rude awakening when they enter into the real world. 
I propose that entitlement is a poison that is corrupting Christian homes. It is a poison that is corrupting Christian marriages. It is a poison that is corrupting many young people and turning them into spoiled brats. God hates an entitled attitude, as we'll see in a minute. God rejects an entitled attitude because, why? It lacks a proper understanding of who we are in Him. And it flaunts an attitude of, I know what's better for me than God does. We're going to take the story of the children of Israel here in the desert, and we're going to look at two reasons they felt entitled as we consider another common corrupter of the Christian home. Point number one, reason number one of the message this evening, entitlement comes from a lack of perspective. A lack of perspective. Notice letter A, what we demand. What we demand. Look at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4 with me. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now, the, these Israelites had been enslaved in Israel. They had a whip being cracked across their back. They uh, had to work in the Egyptian uh, desert heat and uh, they worked long hours and they had to get up when they were told and go to bed when they were told they had no rights they were nothing more than just a bunch of slaves but they were slaves that uh, apparently were fed well now i have learned uh, just from studying and knowing a little bit about being a human and uh, uh, the way humans behave is that oftentimes we have a way of exaggerating both the good times and the bad times in our past. The good times we make out to be really, really good, even better than they actually was. And the bad times we make out to be really, really bad, even worse uh, than it actually was. And, you know, you could spend time with a person, and they could be 70% good to you and 30% bad, and you get several years removed, and that 30% of bad just seems to go away, and everything about them was good, as long as none of the bad was really all that bad. And vice versa, they could be 70% bad to you, but have done some nice things for you, and uh, you seem to forget the bad and just, uh, or forget the good rather, and just they were nothing but bad to me. And I believe there was a little bit of that going on with the Israelites here. They had forgotten the bad and they're just focusing on the food that they missed. They had become tired of the food that God had provided for them and they felt entitled to fish. They felt entitled to cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics. And, and God looks at them and he, he looks and he sees an entitled attitude amongst his own people. There are many who feel indignant toward those who are uh, who have their hand out uh, to the government all the time. Uh, they act as though, these people act as though they have a right to some sort of handout. And uh, if their welfare check is even a day late, uh, they may say things like, where's my check? Where's my check? As if somehow they earned that check. That check, that, that, that those tax dollars were being taken from someone who worked hard and a check was being cut by Uncle Sam to them so they could sit on their backside and do very little except open their mailbox and get it. And they have the audacity to say, where's my check? How dare it be late? And we see people that act that way. And again, if you need welfare, if you're going through a hard time and you're treating it as a safety net that it was originally intended to be, by all means, I don't mean to uh, put down folks who collect welfare that need it and are using it uh, within uh, the boundaries that or rather within the setup uh, that it was originally intended to be. But people who make a lifetime out of living off welfare, who are uh, uh, able bodied to go out and get a job and don't get it, boy, that can begin to grate on the nerves of those who are paying into the system. And so you get an attitude of, I can't stand people that way. And then God goes off and reminds us just how entitled that we act at times. Now, I put down here a list of ways that I act entitled. And um, I'm just going to uh, read it off here to you. And you tell me if some of these relate to you. Sometimes I feel entitled to a thank you. I, you say, well, pastor, you, you shouldn't act that way. Do you sometimes feel entitled to a thank you? I, you know, I, I, I cut the lawn around here. I pay the bills. I take out the trash. Maybe a, a wife who says, you know, I, I slave all day uh, at work, and then I come home, and I stand over a hot stove, and I make you dinner, and, and I'm just taken for granted. 
Do you feel entitled to a thank you? Uh, Sometimes uh, it's fast food that isn't served up fast enough that gets me aggravated. How dare I have to wait more than three or four minutes in the drive-thru line? How dare I have to wait for uh, that Uber Eats driver to to take so long to knock on my door with that uh, Big Mac or that uh, pizza driver to deliver that food. And we can begin, become indignant. We can become upset. Why? Because we're entitled. Sometimes it's my right to be heard. I don't think there's anything that aggravates me more is that when I'm speaking to someone and they just flat out ignore me. Boy, nothing gets me uh, upset faster than that. If you really want to get on Pastor Lejeune's nerves when he's talking to you and there's no one else around, it's just you and him, and he's talking to you, just flat out ignore Pastor Lejeune and, and act as though he doesn't exist. And boy, that just causes my the stirring of my spirit to happen real quick. I go from stirring to sinning pretty quick uh, in that scenario. Why? Because I'm entitled. I feel like that uh, you should respect me enough to listen to what I'm saying. Can I tell you, my entitlement is wrong. Sometimes it's my right to uh, go the speed limit or maybe even drive a little over the speed limit, and then somebody in front of me decides they want to go slower than me, and they hold me up. And then I'm riding on their tail, and I'm acting the fool. Some of you are that driver that's holding me up. I've told the story a long time ago, but I was coming uh, I was coming to the church once, and I was running late. This was back when I lived in West Haven, and so I'd come up um, uh, highway, um, let's see, down 95 over to the connector, and uh, get on 15, and then uh, get off there by Sikorsky, and then come up Booth Park uh, from off of Main Street over there by Sikorsky, and I'm flying. I'm running late. It's a Saturday, or not late, but running late for my standard, and so I'm I'm speeding down Putney there, and this car cuts me off. I mean, pulls out from where Chapel Street comes into uh, uh, Putney there and just cuts me off. And and I'm already uh, bothered that I'm running late over the situation that made me late, and so I'm not going to slow down and, and, and just follow this putt-putter into church. And so I get, I cross the double yellow line, and I fly around this person, and I look over, and it's Maxine McGahee. And I said, ooh, this is not good. And so I just flew on by her and hoped she didn't see me. And I went past the church. I went down and came back around and I pulled in the driveway all sweet. You know, um, people that drive slower than you are, are idiots. And people that drive faster than you are maniacs, right? And everyone should drive the speed that you do. Sometimes I act entitled as though I own the road. And how dare you get in my way? You know, sometimes for me, I'm entitled when it comes to recognition. I'll preach a sermon and think, boy, that was a really good sermon. I'll I'll preach a funeral service and people will get saved. And I'll think, oh man, uh, look at me, I'm a great preacher. You know what that is? That's me being in the flesh. And I want that recognition. Sometimes it's just respect. As a man, God has built me to want to be respected and Husbands want their wives to respect them, and they want their children to respect them. An employer wants his staff to respect him. A pastor wants his flock to respect him. And when you just, when I just don't feel like I'm getting the respect that I so desire, I can become entitled with that. Uh, sometimes it's a right to protect my feelings, and my feelings are hurt, and how dare you trample on my feelings, and how dare you act in a way that's outside of my ethical code of how I believe that you should act. Boy, here I'm quick to throw stones at someone who takes a check from the government undeserving because they're entitled. And then God looks at me and says... All right, buddy, you're pretty entitled yourself, aren't you? I'm learning that in God's eyes, all of those sometimes are ugly every time. Because it's proof that I'm entitled. Have I been a little too transparent with you this evening about me? Or are we all just realizing right now as we're watching this that we're all entitled? What I demand, we we lack perspective, let her be noticed what I deserve. 
what I deserve. How do we hit the reset button on this entitled attitude that can corrode away a marriage and can corrode away the parenting of children? How do we hit the reset button on this? We do so by getting proper perspective. You know, before I was saved, I deserved to go to hell. And truthfully, I still do. The only difference is God, in His mercy, has forgiven me. Look back at Numbers chapter 11. Look at verses 1 and 2. Look here, the people are complaining, acting entitled, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. How much does God hate someone who acts uh, entitled? How much does God hate an entitlement attitude? Boy, so much so that here in the book of Numbers, God got so fed up with their complaining that He just sent wrath down in the form of fire and just burned them up off the planet. Boy, those that died that way lost went straight to hell and they left one fire and went to another. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. There is a side of God that is wrath. There is a side of God that is truth. There is a side of God that is just. And God does not like to, God does not want to put up uh, uh, with our entitlement attitude. We're nothing but despicable sinners in the sight of God. We're nothing but uh, 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 the broken people who uh, behave in a sinful way. And we're so broken and sinful uh, that we can't even see it uh, because we've just gotten used to it. And we've gotten to a place where uh, we just accept our own sin as the norm. And God looks down and He says, Your sin is vile. Your sin is wicked. And if I had my way with your sin, boy, you would go to hell. I made uh, the point this morning when Pastor Morales and I were doing the roundtable discussion that none of us are good. We ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And we're asking the wrong question. The question ought to be, why do, why do good, why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do good things happen to any of us? You see, if I got what I truly deserved, I would be falling through the pit of hell right now. Tell me again why I should get upset about a hamburger that takes five minutes longer than it ought to. Tell me again why I should get upset about the slowpoke that's in my way coming down Highway 8. Tell me again why I should get upset over someone not giving me my recognition or my respect or someone who tramples on my feelings. You see, the person, the people that are falling through hell right now, they would trade places with me and they would trade places with you in an instant and they wouldn't for a, t- a chance, they wouldn't for a time complain about the hardships, the quote-unquote hardships that are in my life or your life. You see, for the lost person, they need to understand that they have no rights. They have a right to go to hell. But we're thankful that Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us freedom. You say, well, pastor, I'm not lost. I'm saved. So what do I deserve now that I'm saved? Well, now that I'm saved, I deserve nothing more than to bear my cross. I deserve nothing more than to bear my cross. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. He said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you're taking notes at home, I would encourage you to put this down. I believe it's going to be a slide. Is that correct, Brother Joe, this quote? Um, If you don't have a way to take notes, I would encourage you, if you're watching this on a cell phone or a tablet, to, to take a screenshot. Write it down later. Here's the quote. Entitlement is the false impression that I somehow deserve more than I really deserve, which is a cross. Again, entitlement is the false impression that I somehow deserve more than I really deserve, which is a cross. Think about Jesus walking down the streets of Jerusalem with a cross on his back, Stones being hurled at him. Insults being hurled at him. The sweat and blood that were dripping off his brow from the crown of thorns that was there. 
He collapsed under the weight of that cross. Jesus looks at me and you and he says, I've saved you. Not to act entitled. I've saved you to bear a cross. And as you bear a cross, you are my servant. And as my servant, you have no rights. When we take a step back and we look at it in that light, boy, entitlement just seems to flee. A deferential spirit begins to flow over us. Husbands begin to defer to their wives. Wives begin to defer to their husbands. Children begin to defer to their parents. To the children listening listening in this evening, I want to ask you a question. What if on your next birthday you didn't get a single present? What if at Christmas this following year your parents looked at you and said, we're going to take the money that we normally give you for, or normally spend on you for Christmas and we're going to send it to the mission field? Do you feel entitled to those presents, kids? Do you think somehow you you deserve them? Oh, I know you've come to expect them because your parents give them to you every year, but do you have an entitled attitude toward those things? Boy, what if your dad lost his job and the next thing you knew you were out on the street? Bouncing between cheap hotel after cheap hotel, sleeping in a mildew-smelling room where... Rats run around on the walls. You understand that your parents are not obligated to give you a silver spoon in your mouth. What if your wife, sir, decided she didn't want to do your laundry anymore? Or maybe in your home the husband does the laundry and the cooking. What if that spouse just decided to stop? You feel entitled? You see, we get angry when we don't have our entitlements met. What we must remember is that we are called to bear a cross. And that requires a great spirit of humility. Any day outside of hell is a great day. Any day bearing my cross for my Savior and all the suffering that comes along with it. Boy, we don't really suffer much as American Christians. But any day I get to bear a cross from my Savior, it's a great day. Why is it that we act entitled? Well, entitlement comes from a lack of perspective. Number two, entitlement comes from a heart of pride. A heart of pride. Go with me to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And I'm not going to read the whole story here to you because it it takes up just about the entire chapter. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole story later. But uh, God had chosen Moses to come back out of the desert and lead uh, the Israelites uh, out of um, Egypt. And uh, there was a man there amongst the Egyptians, or rather amongst the Israelites, named Korah. And Korah was an alpha male type. Korah wanted to be in charge and... Uh, Korah wanted to be the one that called the shots, and Korah and Moses didn't really get along too well because Korah had a problem with Moses' authority. Look at verse number 1 of Numbers chapter 16. The Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So you see that you have a group of people here, uh, Korah, and then you have uh, Dathan and Abiram, Abiram, uh, we, we know that they would be destroyed by strange fire because of their uh, misbehavior later. Uh, they also had an entitlement spirit. But um, uh, these men would get together and they would uh, create an insurrection against Moses. Look at verse 2. And they rose up before Moses and certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, uh, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord, 
And so uh, these um, uh, Korah is leading a pack of men to um, uh, come up and uh, try to commit mutiny against Moses and have them thrown him and Aaron thrown out of authority. And again, you can read the whole story on your own, but we see that uh, God is going to deal with these men. Look down at verse number 28 of Numbers chapter 16. The Bible says, And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works. You want uh, the Lord to validate me, uh, Korah. The Lord's going to validate me right here, for I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not uh, sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, will all that... uh, 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 will all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit. And ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, and the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that uh, appertain unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them, uh, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Oh, wow. Boy, I wish I could have been there to see that. Uh, I w- I, listen, I've said it, I hope that there's a theater in heaven where we can sit and watch some of these stories as they actually happen. But Korah uh, creates a mutiny against Moses, and in his pride, he tries to ascend above. He feels entitled to Moses' position. He feels entitled uh, uh, to lead the nation. And so, in his pride, he comes to Moses and attempts to throw him out, and God opens up the ground and swallows him and all of his belongings and all of his uh, followers whole into the ground. The ground opens its mouth, opens, opens up its mouth and swallows them in. And in my opinion, they kept falling until they went straight to hell. Why? Why did this happen? Because Korah felt entitled to something that did not belong to him. You know, Satan did the same thing in heaven. Satan said, I will ascend. I will put my throne above the throne of the Most High. Now, what did God do to Lucifer and his, his angels that followed him in that insurrection? God threw them out. God threw them out. Why is it that we act so entitled? Can I just strip, strip it down to one word? The word is pride. Boy, we're looking out for number one. And God just does not like our pride. So then, Christian, how do you combat entitlement in your own life? How do you combat entitlement within your own home? Let me just quickly give you two things to work on to help you with this. The first one here, we must develop a culture of godly contentment. Godly contentment. It really comes down to Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever those needs are that you have. Can I tell you something? You should not be sticking out your hand to anyone other than the Lord to have them fulfilled. Now, God uses people to fill our needs, but our our hand should never be out at people. Our hand should be out at the Lord. Not for our wants, but for our need. Psalm 37, verse 25 says this, I have been young and now am old, yet have I uh, not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Part of the reason why we act entitled is because we want more than we should have, than God intends for us to have. We we find our happiness, again, there's that word happiness. We feel entitled to happiness. We find that happiness in fame, in money, God has not called us to do that. A higher standard of living. Boy, if you have everything you want, 
You want everything you have. You're going to be. You're going to do quite well. Christian, God has not called us to live rich lives. I believe every American lives a, or most every American lives a richer life than most folks around the world. Did you know that in 2020, a large percentage of the of the world's population still does not have electricity and water that they can depend on each and every day, running water? We take those things for granted. How do you combat an entitlement attitude? You need to teach yourself to be content, but you also need to teach your children to be content. If I could give something very practical here, a good way to teach your children to be content is when they ask you for something, on a regular basis, you need to be telling them no. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Your children need their feelings hurt sometimes. Well, they're going to cry. Let them cry. Um, Just because your child thinks they need the latest, greatest smartphone, they don't. Just because your children think that they have to have uh, the latest clothing item to fit in at school or with their friends, they don't. Just because your child wants the latest game system doesn't mean they need to have it. We need to teach our children to be content with the base things of life that they have. Too often parents are running out and they're, buying, they're spending hundreds of dollars on a pair of shoes or a pair of pants that that teenage boy or teenage girl is going to outgrow in a matter of months. Well, why did you do that? Because you're afraid of upsetting your child. Instead, you could have spent a third of that or a fourth of that and got them something of quality that would have lasted the duration of the time they would have wore it. You know, when we were growing up uh, as children, we didn't have name brand backpacks. I think Jansport was the name brand backpack when I was a boy. I never had one. I wanted one, but I never had one. Uh, We didn't wear uh, coats that had name brands on them. Uh, The only time I ever owned a pair of Nikes as a little boy, was when I uh, won a school fundraiser and I took that money and I bought myself a pair of Nike tennis shoes so I could match the other boys on the basketball team and I could have the same shoes that everybody else on the team had. My parents didn't just hand it to me. They taught me that I needed to be content with what I had. We fight entitlement by, at times, settling for less. Let me give you another one here. We must develop a culture of godly submission. Godly submission. I'm almost done here. Please hang with me. Look with me at James chapter 4. And let's read from verse 6 down through verse 10. Could you turn there with me in your Bibles if you have them there at home? The verses will be up on the screen, but uh, it would be good if you have your Bible to turn there. And uh, look at, uh, look at the, the words on, on your Bible there. I love these verses. This is really a formula to to Christian success. The Bible says, But speaking of God, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. There's that godly submission. Resist the devil. That's that spirit of entitlement. And he, the devil, will flee from you. Verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. That's that cross-bearing. That's that perspective we need. Godly submission. You know, when I'm becoming irate over the people in traffic, I'm not submitted to the Lord. When I get my feelings hurt over the way someone has treated me, I'm really not submitted to the Lord. When I expect respect, I expect recognition, I expect to be thanked for something I've done, boy, I have a 
spirit of covetousness, not contentment. And I have a spirit that is not submitted to the Lord. I did a lot of reading on the topic of entitlement, preparing for this message. I read so much that my brain began to hurt, and I had to just walk away for a little while. One of the best things about entitlement that I read was from a woman who is um, a millennial. Um, She talked about her friends being taken on an international trip free of charge. She got left out. She became upset. She felt entitled to be taken along on that international trip. And how dare they exclude me? And she said, God began to work on my heart and show me that I had an entitlement attitude. Here's what she wrote. She said, in Psalm 23.1, David proclaims that the Lord is his shepherd, and he shall not want. How was David able to say this? Listen to this. Because he intimately knew the good shepherd's heart. He knew that God promises to always love his children in Psalm 36.7. He knew that God would never leave him nor forsake him, Psalm 139.7-12. He knew that God would always sustain him. Psalm 62, 1 and 2. He knew that God was enough. Psalm 27, 4. Because he knew all those things, he was able to fully trust that God would take care of him even in the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, 4. Mom and dad, husband, wife, begins with us. Children, you can work on it as well, but mom and dad, we need to begin to set the stage to teach our children what it means to do away with an attitude, a mentality of entitlement or an entitlement mentality. And I believe this is destroying many homes. It's corrupting many Christian homes, causing them to worship materialism and money and worship themselves, humanism, instead of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's identify it. Let's ask the Lord to give us victory over it. Lord, we come to you this evening, and Lord, we want to have a humble heart. Thank you so much, Lord, for working on my heart this week, showing me where I fall short, showing me where I'm entitled, showing me that I am out of balance in these areas. Lord, help us to cling to contentment, knowing that you are enough that you have promised to supply all our need if our faith is in you. Lord, you've not promised us an exuberant, rich lifestyle. Oh, that comes for some. But it's not guaranteed, but you have promised to take care of our needs, and we need to be okay with that. Lord, you've uh, commanded us to submit to you, follow you, to bear our cross. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. Work in our hearts this evening, Lord. Help us to be tender to the Word of God. And, Lord, root out entitlement from our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.